I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Good morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Michael Jr. That is me. With me, as always, but this time in person, Brandon Newman. Brandon, we can see each other in the same room. I know. It's very, it's 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 normal, but it's weird. We haven't done a podcast together since the trailer, like physically in the yeah. same room together since the trailer episode. Um, and now, yeah, it's, it's we're, you know, we're coming up on episode 50. Not, not, not like right now, but yeah, like in the in the near future, yeah. we're in like the high thirties, low forties right now. If we're if we're talking golf, you know, we're, we're probably like you know two hundred yards away, you know, down the fairway from it. Is that there's there's a lot of other golf ways you could have gone damn under it, that. Damn but it! I I'm really been trying. That. I'm really well, been trying. And the reason Brandon brings up golf, and the reason that we're together right now is because we were out in South Bend, Indiana. We told you guys on Friday when we did the podcast with my dad about the Golick Family Subpar Classic. It is the reason that you did not get a podcast from us on Monday. Dizzily. This summer, we are probably going to be doing weeks where we have only four podcasts getting ready for the fall. This week, because we had our family's first charity golf tournament coming up on Monday, decided, you know what, we are going to go dark on Monday. We are going to come back, 
today with a great podcast, and we got an awesome interview we taped with Chris Long from the Greenlight Podcast, the two-time Super Bowl champion, and got to a, a ton of stuff with him. A lot of relevant headlines, a lot of stuff from his career, and just got to chop it up with a really good guy that we both like. And I mean, honestly, that we both, it, it's so weird, Brandon, in, in what we'll do with Chris, because he was genuinely one of those guys that, who is about, you know, I think a recruiting cycle or two, he's probably like four or five years older than us. That makes sense, yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I, re- I remember watching him play, so yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like We watched him play, and we watched him years in advance. Like The guys that you see as NFL draft picks when you're a high school senior going into college yes. feels so different than the ones that you see that were your peers for a while while yes. you were in college. And so Chris was a guy like genuinely looked up to for so long in the way he approached things as a player. Yep. Obviously, a guy who was following in his father's legacy in football was True. something I always saw. And you know, whenever I first got in contact with him that was kind of the bonding point was hey a a second generation of athletes obviously our family's always joked we're like the costco brand longs because (laughs) each of us at every level has just accomplished at like like two standard deviation points lower than every long family member let me i'll I'll step in and say virginia wishes they uh had the clout that notre dame had in these college football streets although I did love watching. I remember falling in love with DeBrickishaw Ferguson for a long, and then I was just like watching UVA football, and then and then Chris Long comes wrong. I, I, I can't not. You can't not. So, and, and the beauty of taping this right now is we're talking about Virginia football and the Long family, <laughs> who we love. As my dad just comes wandering downstairs into the basement in his house where we're taping this yes, podcast. Yes. So, these are the beauties of the uh, of the format that we've got right now in being able to do this this way. But uh, shout out to Chris Long again, guy yes. we both you know got to watch, look up to the the charitable work that he has done both as an NFL player and continues to now is pretty exemplary. We talk a lot about that and a bunch of other stuff with Chris, but. My dad wandering down into the basement is a good reminder for us that this was a pretty cool weekend that we got to do back here. And we talked about it so much on Friday, we'd be remiss if we probably didn't give a little bit of recap for a number of reasons. One, just want to say thank you first and foremost. Everybody who donated to the live auction of our friends, guys like Zach Martin, Quentin Nelson, Matthias Farley, Anders Lee, so many others who sent memorabilia that was signed for the auction, people that sent experiences and packages, everyone that bid online as we put that silent auction up. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. But also, thank you to people like you, Brandon, our former teammates, so many of whom came back to South Bend for this, made the trip to not only come and lend their time and support and names to this, but also opened up their wallets, gave money, helped make this weekend as great as it was. We told you guys this was benefiting four charities that we were really close with around the South Bend area to try and just give back to an area and a community that helped us all and supported us all so much while we were at Notre Dame here so definitely wanted to get that out of the way that was the important part of this before we got even to the golf yesterday obviously I will speak as a spectator of this uh, beautiful event I think anyone at Notre Dame sees the Gullick name on something you're like okay let's go ahead and, and spend whatever time we need and uh, money to make sure that we are present there for this party because you guys do things very very well the swag bag was the swaggiest of the swag bags mm. might as well have been a bowl game swag bag uh big, style that is true big bowl gift suite vibes yes, yes. and and uh high rock vodka like there's just so many sponsors um and 
people that came out and it was just so good to see people like Marcus Freeman like came to the party and he was there as like it wasn't just like kissing hands and, and uh, kissing babies and shaking hands he did that and he took the selfies I thought you were going to say kissing hands and shaking babies and I was going to like, listen I just want to get out here right now the head coach of Notre Dame football shook no babies <laughs> shook no I, I didn't see him shake a baby uh, I, I saw Marcus Freeman shake no babies actually um, I didn't introduce myself or talk to him because I was like our time will come because it, it felt forced because he looked like he and his wife were just having a really really good time and, and I think that was the cool part of this for all of us is it was equal parts reunion and you mentioned Tommy Reese, who's on the staff now at Notre Dame, was our teammate yes. when we were in college. Chris Watt, who's the assistant offensive line coach, was our teammate there in college. So many of the guys on the support staff, Ron Paulus, Dave uh, Dave Poloquin, all those guys, we got to see them and just be around them and visit them. And Marcus Freeman, James Laronitis, they were kind enough to come out there, but also everyone seemed to genuinely enjoy themselves in that setting. And so we were super pumped with that. Mara Gallagher and six-man events who put this on. Man, oh, if yes. you ever have an event that you are looking to do and I know this is all sounding like a shameless pr plug but it really is just gratitude Daniel. these are great people yes. who did a lot of a lot of awesome things so I met Smitty for the first time yeah Jessica Smetana was out here we had the DraftKings Nation fully represented between Gojo Golik and Smetty as the podcast I mean I mean it was it was beautiful it was, it was just a great time and I got a chance to golf I had to answer I had to, now. I know I was. Well, uh, and so I, I want to ask okay. you about this, Brandon. Okay. And so, again, if anyone is curious about helping out South Bend yes. Center for the Homeless, the South Bend Animal Rescue Center, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, and the Logan Center here in South Bend, all of those were the charities. If you're looking for more information on those, Golic Subpar Classic dot. Com. We did also play golf on Monday, Brandon. And you mentioned this was interesting because we came into this and I'm not a great golfer. I steal my dad's line all the time that at this point I'm going to shoot in the mid to high 90s drunk or sober. It doesn't matter how much of the poison I've ingested. My dad's gotten a lot better at golf. He's very good at it at this point. You have never really played golf before. You got one round in before this tournament. Was that the first round you have ever played of 18 no, holes in your life? No, no, no. I played one full round of 18 holes. Uh, and then I played right before I came out here. I did a, you know, 13 holes. Um, and I'm trying to think of the name of the, the golf course. Sun Valley Golf Course in Louisville, Kentucky. It was perfect because even though I was in my golf like mindset as i was teeing off there was some of like two chains greatest hits blaring in the background so i got a chance to like focus on teeing off while listening to watch that little bitch um so and you getting mad <laughs> we getting rich so i so coming out here today was like my third time doing a a full court well first second time doing 418 and i got better at nine like two of my shots or one, one, one from the tee, and then one was a little pitch. We were playing scramble rules for the tournament. Yes, yes, scramble rules for the tournament, which means best shot is taken. Uh, whoever has the best shot, that's where you're chipping in from, or that's where you're shooting from. Um, I had a very good team. The, the band was very good. Ray? The the singer guitarist. Oh yeah, I say Preston Pole and Ray Bedro, our band, who were yes. awesome for the concert. That was who you played with. Yes, and Ryan Harris. Ryan and Ryan Harris, Harris former he, Notre Dame great. He joined us, and it was so great. I, the, who's the guy from Hoodie and the Blowfish that was there? Mark Bryan was there. Mark Bryan from Hoodie and the Blowfish was there, and and there was a great moment where Ryan Harris told him, "He's like, you saved my life when I hit the NFL because I was watching you in the Hoodie and the Blowfish and in an interview and on MTV and." 
you guys said that once you start making money, you need to save $30 of every $100 you make and, and just put it away and save it. And he said, I did that going into the league, and I'm, I'm like it helped me with my financial literacy at a very young age, and I never forgot it. And they got to talking about it, and it was a really cool moment. And then I used that moment to talk to Ryan Harris and tell him, you're the reason why I was able to play college football. I saw you on True Life. Wow. When I was like 11 years old, watching you trying to cut wake, and you were... That's right. Ryan Harris was on the MTV True Life show yes. talking about getting ready to be a Division One college football player. And he got a scholarship off from Notre Dame. It was like at the very end, it, like in the, when he turns to black, it's like he ended up committing to Notre Dame and went to Notre Dame. And I told him, like, watching that as a, as a youth... I was like, oh, that's how hard you have to work to get a D1 scholarship. And I just started working that hard by myself. So it was a cool moment. It was like right after he said that, I got a chance to tell Ryan that. And uh, it was just a really, really cool, cool opportunity, cool moment. I, I They gave me some really good pointers. Um, and it's a, it's a... It's a skilled man's game. Like the amount of muscle fatigue it takes to be balanced and controlled and for a perfect swing. And like my buddy who taught me how to golf, shout out to Cody Langford. Uh, he's a five handicap. Mm. So like he's like. Yeah, he's uh, balling. Yeah, he's really good. Golfs every day. So I went out there with him. He, he taught me a couple things. And in the middle of the day, he texts me after I lost all my balls. And y'all had these wonderful signature balls with your logos on them. Beautiful. Um, after I lost all those balls, uh, he texts me. Uh, swing easy, fifty percent of your strength, and after that, I just started. I just started whacking them. I was, I was, I was. Well, because that was your line coming into this was you thought, all right, I'll go out, I'll play one round beforehand, and then natural athleticism will take over. And to channel that inner athlete, I. <laughs> Brandon came over to our house after the tournament and is sitting around here and is like, hey, do you guys mind if I go? This is, I, I promise you all of this, there's not a bit of exaggeration. We're sitting around with my mom and sister and Brandon walks in and he goes, hey, do you guys mind if I get changed in here? And we're thinking, oh yeah, Brandon will go find a bathroom or something and change. And we're like, well, why do you like need to get changed now anyway? And he's like, well, I got to take my girdle off. And I'm like, all right, like I thought maybe... Cause like I, I go work golfing and I wear like Nike compressions or something like that, just you know in case I have to walk a fair amount or anything. Just keep it all in there. It's a mildly athletic endeavor, and so I make sure that chafing is not an enemy that gets to thwart my good time. Of course, Brandon said, "Oh no, like like a girdle," and he pulled up his shorts. And I don't know if a lot of you have ever had a chance to wear these or see these, but there is compression shorts that most people will wear when they go to work out, and then there is a girdle where. If you are getting ready to like, we wore these for like our pro day because you yes. want to try and keep your hamstrings locked Don't in and tight. Anything. If you've had a hamstring injury and you're playing in a game, you'll wear these. These are like fibers cross-stitched in a bunch of opposite directions to basically hold your shit in tight like a drum. It's damn near Teflon. It is uncomfortable. It is incredibly Hard tight. In. The material is incredibly thick. It's like like when you see people having to jump into a set of jeans, you got to jump into these yes. bastards to get yourself. It gets your shit locked in. And you played 18 holes of golf in that, Brandon. How? I know, Why? I, I took two off to eat i will say i took two holes off to eat completely wait, wait you just didn't play two holes <laughs> they thought they were like where are you coming out i said mm -mm. you know you could bring the food with you i was i had i was i popped park close but it was <laughs> they pulled off and i was like i said i'm gonna finish i'm gonna finish these barbecue brisket sliders um but yeah 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 they, they, yeah they 
I don't know the etiquette. I would say that because they were like, they thought I was giving up because I was frustrated. I was like, no, I, I just ran out of balls. They was like, you can tell us and we'll give you some of your some balls to play with. And I was like, oh, thank you. Like, I just was, I didn't know. I didn't know the things. But yes, I wore that because I didn't want to pull anything. And I was trying to get, the, I think I was too tight. I think I might have been too tight. I probably should have maybe free balled it. No, see, I think what you need to do is next time you need to wear the girdle on the bottom and like a lifting shirt on top that like professional bench pressers wear. So all your shit's locked in. So you're just like a snare drum and you uncoil oh this swing. God. It's going to be bro, like those dudes that just like slingshot an 800 pound bench. You're going to drive the ball bro, 500 yards off the tee. That's so, that's such a deep cut because like not even. Like they don't even have benching shirts in football locker room or like weight rooms. Yeah, like, no, no, that's like that's some serious like world strongest man meathead yes, shit. Yes, like yes. you're watching this on an internet website with a guy that stole an ESPN mic flag. Yes, in between cycles. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but Brandon, so and like coming off of this, so again, yeah. you guys just heard Brandon's approach was very different. Will you be golfing more in the near future, or is this going to remain kind of like a special occasion? Thing? I tell you what, I want it to be. I want to because I understand the networking of it and like being able to be out there and just kind of just, it's beautiful. It was a wonderful day in South Bend yesterday too. So it was just so nice. But, 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 but a lot of logistics had to go into me being freed up to do this. I flying my mother-in-law into town just to be with Michelle and the, and the kids so I can move around. So it feels unlikely that I'll be able to like run back and golf like and get some chance maybe like once the kids go to sleep if I find some place that golfs at night but um I'll get some top golf in and I but I am really excited to like when my kids get older and I can like golf with them like I think See, I think it's something I'm definitely not going to get away from at this point in time it's 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 it, I said it was like one of the best kept secrets like that shit is fun out there that's the biggest thing I'd say, and I know golf has some some of the criticisms of being a little more elitist sport, expensive yeah. entry point for a lot of people, and so not everyone can do it, but like you said, if you have the opportunity, the biggest mistake I ever made as a kid, my dad bought me a set of clubs, got me a golf membership, I didn't take advantage of it, mm. and man, if you learn how to swing the sticks when you're a little kid, it is a world difference once you imagine. get to be our age with our beat-up ass shoulders. Man, bro, Preston, the other guitarist, the, the, the lead singer? I want to put his business out on the street, but he threw up multiple times today, and it looked like I was working with a drunk or a hungover, really good golfer. Like he was like he oh, had yeah. some. He was he was really he was skilled. I mean, we were to be clear, we were all very hungover, yes. and only countered that by beginning to drink very early at a nine a.m. shotgun start. So, yes. Brandon. Had a great time. We appreciated you coming out here. Thank you for having me. Thank you again to all of our friends that managed to come out for this tournament here. We hope it's the first of many. We hope we get to expand and involve more people that we enjoy. We got a lot of nice notes from people who want to try and get out for next year. We want to try and make this a rallying point every year. Had a ton of fun. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to collect and compose ourselves. And when we come back, we got an awesome conversation with Chris Long that we'll get you guys in just a minute. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know is it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, 
Dad. I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, very excited for this one because when we were getting started with this podcast, Brandon, the first person to hit me up and say, hey, come on my podcast, let's promote this thing and help get you guys going was Chris Long. Super Bowl champion, host of the Greenlight Podcast, and Chris, you were kind enough to have us on for the home game on your turf here, so we figured we'd finally complete the home-at-home home and welcome you into what we've started building around here. Dude, as you, I'm, first off, I'm psyched. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of your, uh, yours, Mike, and the media. I think you do a great job, and I'm really psyched that you guys seem to be like buddies, and that's what it's all about, and you got your own gig now, so um, we'll see how long that lasts working together. <laughs> Man, uh, but- <laughs> But 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 on top of that though, you're right. Like the home and homes are awesome. And I say that because it's more fun to go on other people's podcasts than to host people on your own podcast. So I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to go on Mike's pod. <laughs> Just come loose and let it spin. But Yeah, dude, you gotta do the planning. So Well, you're right though about so Brandon and I have been teammates. You know, we're teammates at Notre Dame, have known each other forever. You and Macon, and obviously now you've got Kyle there on the pod too. So what what's that been like? Because I did a show with my dad. You have been doing a show with one of your childhood best friends, and now your brother. Like, how's the addition of Kyle more full time than in on that? I think it's good because you know we got a big brother, little brother dynamic in that he's way bigger than me (laughs) and I'm older than him. But honestly, I've, I'm kind of like, it's like, I don't want to say pinky in the brain because he's brilliant, but like, uh, it's like I have a little bit of a mind control thing over this giant wild animal. And like, I put him in the chair and if I could just <laughs> wrangle him, he's so good at this. Like he's got such potential and it's really great to know somebody so well. You know, when they say, you know, you finish each other's sentences, like legitimately, you know, that's what being brothers are. And so like, it makes for good fun, like podcasting. And Kyle's great because he'll bring the mood up in the studio. Like, I'm the pessimistic one. I'm the one who's, like, going to just be off to myself, you know, grunting and pissed off about the next thing we have to do. And Kyle comes in, and he just can't wait to tell us about everything he did over the weekend. And sometimes it's hard to work over that, but it's great to have him in. I'll be like, Kyle, show up at 2. He's like, I'll come in at one I'm like, no, 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 show up at, like, one fifty-five because I got work to do. <laughs> you know, uh, and he's distracting, but I love having Kyle in, man. He's going to be good at this. How has it been transitioning to podcasting and that grind in itself, especially because people, former athletes, it's just things like, oh, if you have a big enough platform, enough following, you just jump in front of a mic and make shit happen. No, no, you're live from Greenlight Studio, a uh, famous place because of podcasting. Like, how has it been transitioning and also ushering your friends and your brother into what it means to be a podcaster? I think that's the hardest part is like, number one, like, yeah, I'm a name and everything and I'm entertaining or whatever, but I need to surround myself with the right people. You know, it's teamwork, uh, you know, and that's what it's about. That's what you guys are doing. And the interesting thing about me and this podcast is we've kind of like put this thing together with a bunch of elements that weren't like people that weren't podcasting before, like we're all just kind of experimenting. I was the first day and it's grown into this bigger thing, whether it's Macon, who's a real estate agent, 
uh, by day, and that you know we have trouble maybe syncing the, the schedules up sometimes. Or Kyle, who's uh, you know retired football player, totally no, no experience here. Or Nate Collins, uh, who was a former teammate of mine. I was like, hey, you just want to come in and and you know just fuck around on the mic a little bit, and then eventually it turns into this like career path for people. So it's exciting for me, but it's also exciting to like bring my friends into the fold. That's what's fun. And some days you don't feel like, I think the hardest part is answering the bell every day. Like it was easy for me to answer the bell every day physically, you know, and mentally, because that's what I did for a living, but to entertain every day and to like have something to say every day is a totally different skill. And then layering that with the business considerations, because we are, although we're with blue wire, we kind of run our own gig here. So I mean, we got a little team. We work really hard. We get a lot of output for a little team. Uh, and we have autonomy. But the downside of that is I got to pay all the bills and figure everything out. And I think that's the, that's the hard part for athletes to me. Turning the mic on, you know, depending on how much you go, that can be difficult. But it's the, it's the like, business leadership. Football leadership doesn't translate to business leadership naturally. Mm. I think you got to relearn that, that skill and, like, fine-tune it for the world we've walked into. That's interesting. So does it make you then more impressed when you see guys that are doing this while they're playing the way like Richard Sherman was? Draymond Green obviously has become super popular in that. Could you have conceived of doing something like this towards the end of your career while you were still playing? Not because of difficulty. I, in no shade because I think Draymond's the fucking man and I was so pissed that people were even questioning like, does he know what he's doing here? Like Draymond doesn't care. The, the answer's in the question. He's doing this podcast during the finals. Like it doesn't yeah, affect him because exactly. I'll tell you what, like you wouldn't catch me in a million years doing that. Like little, little old me, I was afraid to do a radio spot. So like, if it works for you, it works for you. But I didn't like compounding that extra criticism or like extra, you know, um, overthinking of like what I'm doing on a week to week basis. But for those guys, it works. Now also we know from being in the industry, like Draymond's podcast is not incredibly preparation intensive or incredibly production intensive it's a 20 30 minute podcast people were freaking out they thought he was recording like a two-hour podcast with right. segments so i think if i had the balls to do it while i played i could have done it but uh i think i'm more impressed with guys that are like learning how to not only create the content but then layer it on social and like get the impressions and like they, they got the instagram down they have the twitter down they have the marketing down um, and then there's all the things under the hood that nobody sees, like keeping the lights on and all the logistical stuff, the guest booking, like you guys know how this is. It's not just what you see. You see the tip of the iceberg. And you mentioned like not wanting to, cause I was always the same way, especially now for me as a player, even in college, I was, you know, above average at best. I was a guy that was trying to get myself onto the field. Like, you talking about not feeling comfortable going out and adding fuel to the fire like that or doing stuff while you were playing. Was that how you always felt? Because, I mean, you were, you know, the number two overall pick in the draft. Like, you came to it in a position, and we've talked about this, how different the pressures are for guys that come into whatever their league is in the situation that you did versus someone that's trying to hang on the back of a roster. Like, was that something you were never really comfortable with? Well, I was never, no, because it was also the time, like, when we came to the league. And first off, Mike, you were a really good college football player and, and good enough to, 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 you know, get a cup of coffee or whatever you want to call it. Like, that's fucking good. So don't be underselling yourself here. Not, not when I'm a guest on this podcast. <laughs> All right, not on my watch. Secondly, not on my watch. 
But secondly, I think uh, it's just, uh, you know, we're all byproducts of like our environment and then the time in which we play, like number one, the time in which we play. So in 2008, when I was drafted, nobody had their own podcast. Like what was a podcast? So it was more like, do you want to go down and have this local radio show after every game? And I think where some of this autonomy in the media was born out of was these bad setups. Like where if a player wants to be heard, he's got to go down to a local bar and get hammered about the loss that they just, uh, you know, they suffered yesterday to the Panthers, 41-14 or whatever. You don't want to talk that day. Everybody wants to talk after things are going well, but you make those calculations. Environment for me, uh, I played for the Rams. So after how many games do you think I was going to feel like, you know, being like, hey, let's just run this back? You know, like, uh, which Chris Johnson run of 60 plus yards do you want to talk about today? So I think it's timing, it's environment, and it's also personality. Like, I don't like feeling like I'm the center of attention, contrary to popular belief. Sometimes I think when you have something interesting to say as a player, the cream rises to the top depending on the time you play. And like, if I have something to say, like I had something to say about social justice, because I was one of the few guys saying it, all of a sudden my quotes get aggregated super heavy. And that actually drove me away from talking about certain things because I don't mm. want to be in that spotlight um, because it makes it seem like it's about me. Same thing with like sharing my thoughts on the game or my teammates. Um, I just didn't want to be that guy. Also because I wasn't the best player on the roster anymore at the end of my career. Like I was, you know, uh, yeah, I wasn't one of the best players on the roster anymore at the end of my career. I was a veteran. I was more of like a leader, like you could call it a role player. I was getting 25 snaps a game. So like, I didn't feel like I had the clout to just do that. So I just didn't do it. And uh, I kind of regret not doing a little bit more because I do think like it helps guys to do that and then like transition right in. But who am I kidding? I was playing in Philadelphia. That's terrifying. You know, like new guy in Philly. I didn't know we were going to win the Super Bowl. I wasn't rushing to like do a radio show or a podcast. Fuck no. But can we talk about your career real quick? Because I, I want to put myself in your shoes in the sense of uh, predicting once you get drafted second overall and you, and you have this lineage of, of uh, you know, your name. It goes a long way in these NFL circles. So uh, when you take a step back and look back at your career, even before the Super Bowls, which I'm sure you can't at this point in time, but like, was it, how, 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 do you, how would you sum up your career uh, from, from your standpoint? A little bit misunderstood, I think, um, as are most careers. I mean, you know, like most fans don't know really like in depth what a player's doing. Most analysts don't really know what a player's doing. Let's be honest. I don't watch every snap of every game on Sunday. For you to know about what a player's doing, especially in a small market on a bad team, like you have to be that position coach or a really, you know, um, passionate local fan. So for me, you know, when you get drafted high, number one, I had the expectations of that I had the expectations of my pops. Like that's no secret. But on top of that, you kind of know what you're walking into. You got drafted high because that team's bad. So, you know, early in my career, there were a lot of challenges that maybe some other guys didn't didn't have. But also I had a longer rope because I was a number two pick. So, um you know, I, I think what frustrates me about my career is I never got to enjoy winning or like those primetime moments where you could really like go make those plays and all the things you work for on a big stage. We rarely got primetime games. Now, then when I got to Philly, when I wasn't the, you know, the 10 sack a year guy for a span, like we're getting those games now. So I'm introduced to America as this 32 year old guy who's 
struggling to run <laughs> and uh, and does a lot of charity work, you know. So I think the irony of my career is I had people at the end of my career calling it this resurgence or like, you know, all of a sudden because I'm in, on good teams and you saw me on TV, like they got something out of me that St. Louis couldn't. I was a dog in St. Louis. The only thing that slowed me down was injury. I mean, fuck. So just because people didn't watch my games doesn't mean, you know, um, they, they know or can comment on my legacy as a player. Another thing with me as, as a player is like when, you, when, you, when you're drafted high, people go off of these like antiquated metrics, which are like awards and shit. Right. I never made a, a Pro Bowl. So a lot of people look back and they're like, ah, real quick, what did he do? Oh, I can't. There's no metric for me to go off of. I don't give a fuck. You know, I talk about it a lot, but like, that's not a true metric of how you play. So you have people talking about like, well, he didn't make a pro bowl. He didn't do that. Like, what do the numbers say? You know, what do the numbers say? And, and, uh, you know, what's the difference between a pro bowl alternate and a pro bowler? Because the difference is somebody getting hurt. And if I'm a four time alternate and you got a guy who gets three pro bowls because somebody got hurt two or three years and he was the first alternate, what's the difference? So I think the frustrating thing for me is as a, as a high pick, when people look back at it, they hold you this high standard, but they don't approach your career with any nuance. And so that's frustrating for me is like my prime was, was on a losing team. Nobody watched. And then when we, when everybody saw me play, I was charity guy role player. So I think like, as I look back on my career, that's my biggest frustration, but everything also happens for a reason, man. I, I don't say that all the time, but in my case, I felt like it, like I got a little lucky and some, some justice came back my way, losing a bunch of games. And then at the end of it, you get to walk off as a champion. That's really all that matters. It's uh, one of our friends calls it clean living. You know what I mean? You always get paid out living in the right. end for that clean living. Yep. But it, to talk about Chris Sims, he has a metric for, I think it's fuck up the play metric. Great. Yeah. But like, that's what you were doing for yeah. a very, very long time before yeah. you got to those Super Bowls. No, and no question. No question. Which, uh, and we had a lot of this conversation around Andrew Wiggins in the NBA finals. Yeah. I'm sure you looked at this too. A guy yeah. who was the top overall pick for the Timberwolves comes over to a spot where he didn't have to be the dude anymore. We yeah. talked just a lot about that organizational fit you described where sometimes you end up on organizations at the top that just aren't like that. But for you, which part of that did you enjoy more? Like being the dog, even though it was on a team that wasn't accomplishing or when you finally got to lift those two trophies, even though it wasn't necessarily in the context that you would have probably liked as a player. Listen, I'm never going to complain about being lucky enough to be on championship teams. And I'm also not going to undersell the, the effect that all those vets had on those teams, you know, whether it's mm, Patrick yeah. Robinson, Tory, myself, or guys that got to New England, albeit like in a smaller role, everybody has a piece of it. So I'm very proud of those things. Um, but when I look back at my career and don't misunderstand this, I love winning the most. Otherwise, I wouldn't have stuck around another few years after I kind of bottomed out in St. Louis. Um, yeah, I certainly didn't play for like a mill the last couple of years of my career with all that money in the bank to make money. I did it to win. But when I look back at my fondest memories, like in my heart of hearts, it's the people that I played a long time with. You know, um, it's guys like Robert Quinn, William Hayes, Michael Brockers, um, Kendall Langford, um, Aaron Donald, even when he was young. Like we had some absolutely terrific, groups um and i think also going through the shit kind of gets you closer like the winning's great like fair weather teammates 
um, <clears throat> you know, you always love the teammates you, you played with on championship teams. But if you if you remain close with guys that you lost 15 games with, 14 games with, nine, 10 games within a season, um, that's special because we, we were a really good unit on bad teams. And, and, I, and I'll never forget the fun we had. I mean, the pranks, the, the brotherhood, the, the kind of off-the-wall shit. We hung out off the field. We did everything together. And that's also a thing when all the guys are 25, 26 years old in the NFL, you can do that. But then when you get older and everybody's got families, it changes. So we were just in this sweet spot, man. And uh, we took a lot of pride in our unit, and I, and I that was the most fun I ever had. Um, now Philly was just another kind of fun, but every day at work, I never had as much fun as I had in St. Louis with Jeff Fisher and those groups. And you say what you want about Jeff, but we played our asses off for him because we loved him. It it definitely shows. I think you hear the people that talk about uh, you know Jeff that played for him. It shines through. Like I always said, you can't fake that shit when you ask someone about a former coach. If they didn't fuck with the guy, you're going to tell pretty quickly and how they address that. Like the genuous and how people address Jeff Fisher speaks volumes about what he meant to the guys that played for him. But no um, question, the Wiggins thing was a good point. You know that because we just we were just talking about it. somebody joked that that was a comp for me, Wiggins, and I was like. That's kind of funny. He even has a dad that played in the, in the NBA. Yeah. But, uh, but it is that feeling of like, now we can give, winning makes everybody look better. Even if mm. Wiggins, you know, was or wasn't better in Minnesota, it depends on like how you break that down. I'm no basketball expert, but his numbers were pretty good in Minnesota. Now everybody just respects him and what's changed. Like it's being in the right situations, being around Steph Curry, it's being around, um, Draymond, it's being around Clay. It's it's like all these role guys coming together and and just like making this run. And now everybody on that team, you know, your their status or the way you think of them is elevated. So it's a team game, man. And you know, it's the same in football. We know people's outcomes are so different depending on what system they're in, what team they're on. So I think that's a great lesson. Like we just saw with Andrew Wiggins. It's like wh- who's who's around you and and who's the coach, you know, like how good is the system you're playing in? How good is, is Steve Kerr's plan? So, um, listen, I, I love Andrew Wiggins now, man. I, th- I loved watching him play. That was another thing. I never really watched him play. You got to be an NBA head to watch right. a lot of Andrew Wiggins and I'm not one. Yeah. That's, that's for Rosillo and the guys that are going to live NBA league pass late into the night that are going to watch every, <laughs> uh, play for Andrew Wiggins in the Timberwolves exactly. days. How, exactly. Uh, as someone that was once the, I'd say, face of a Super Bowl celebration, when I think of the Eagles Super Bowl celebration, I think of you in that fur coat. I think of yeah. you know, what we saw out there. How appreciative were you of Steve, Steve Kerr just coming out and saying the quiet thing loud? I saw him in that video saying, I am hungover as all hell today. Like It seems like those guys did it right. Like Was that always your thought? It's like once I got to this moment – I was just going to ball all the way the fuck out on that stage. So it's so funny. You imagine it your whole life. You're like, what if I won a championship? Like, and of course you're like using your imagination in most situations, but like, I always wonder what you do after the game. Like, where do these guys go? Like after KG said, anything is possible. Like where the fuck did KG go? <laughs> like what happens now? Do they just like bring you to a room or like, do, do, do your families all come with you or do you get a night out with the guys? Like, but, um, I think you just cross that bridge when you come to it. I think it's a, it's a beautiful, awesome experience because 
there's never going to be another time in your life where a gr- you're a part of a group of people that celebrated like that. Like, that's the one thing. I Listen, the success of winning a Super Bowl is gratifying. It's fulfilling. But the intense, like, dopamine that comes in over a three-day period from, like, riding that float in front of a million people or whatever. Or stand- we got up at the Rocky Steps. I was so fucked up. And, and I usually, if I'm that drunk, I'm not nervous. And when I looked out over the damn city, I was like, man, there's got to be 500,000 people. It turned out there's a million people out there. And you're just never going to get that again. Where else are you going to get a chance to, to just celebrate for six hours straight with people screaming something you did? And it's okay to soak that in because, I mean, like, that's just what it's about. And, and this is the one time it's okay to pat yourself on the back and spend time with your teammates and get to know their families better than maybe you knew them all year. Cause now you're going to a bunch of stuff and the team playing back is there's like a family playing and everybody's hung over. Okay. The players are still drunk. Some of them didn't go to bed. And that's why when I saw that Steve Kerr um, clip, I was like, man, that's exactly what it's about. Like it's a three day period, two weeks for some guys probably where you're never completely sober. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and and i'm glad steve said that out loud because uh, you do a lot of interviews and you're like damn i am doing like national interviews drunk now like this is a thing and it's okay when you're a champion is there any nerves to being up on one of those floats when you've got the crowds tossing you beers to make sure that you not because like clay thompson eat shit and truck stick that lady like how nervous are guys when the beers are getting tossed up there that you're not the guy that drops the beer or chugs it like shit? Buddy, yeah, it's just like they're coming left and right. You know, your wife could get hit in the head with a silver bullet, you know. Um, Coors lights are just raining from like the <laughs> and and they're full and they're cold, and that just makes it hurt more. And so, like, you have this responsibility not only to catch the thing to, to look athletic, but also to protect the people on the float so it's a big deal and then people will throw fireball shots up and stuff like that and you know when in rome uh, but not not usually fireball shots the nba playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba with same game parlays live betting odds boosts and so much more don't miss out as the nba postseason winds down and if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for Eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You experienced that three-day period one year after the next. Yeah, and, uh, I, I want to hear about that because winning the super, first overtime Super Bowl with the Patriots and then to come back with that Nick Foles year, which was just completely crazy, with LeGarrette Blunt, who 
if you're watching, if you're paying attention to the whole football thing, that punch that he threw in Oregon and Boise State, it was crazy to see what his career ended up being. And me being a defensive lineman, I love love a big a big running back. Like, what was that experience like? Hell yeah, LG was the man. First off, I didn't mention him earlier, but his going to Philly, like we kind of we didn't go together, but like there was definitely like a lot of coordination. It was like, uh, hey, I think we went down here. Like Joe Douglas and these guys seem pretty awesome. Like they're doing something. All right, let me, and then two weeks later, he signed. So it just felt good to come in with somebody that, like, me and LG didn't know each other. What I knew of LG was playing against him in Tampa. I knew about the punch. Like, I didn't know him, so I didn't know what to think about. Like, he's, the guy brings his boom box into the shower. Like, he's got, like, a, a boom box that he plays at, like, 100 decibels in the shower. So, like, the first day, I'm like, I don't know. Like, you know, you, you, you kind of assess, are you going to be tight with people on the team? I'm like, maybe shower boom box guy. Not going to be my guy, but by the end of the season, I just felt like, um, in new England. And then like at the end of our two year run in Philly, we became like brothers, man, it, just by happenstance, you know, it's just crazy to go on that journey with somebody. So I love LG. Um, and then the, the two situations are just totally different, you know, in new England, it's like a factory. So, and I don't mean that negatively because they're very yeah. Patriots fans are like, what do you mean? Um, I just mean that they're used to this. They know, like, they know what they're doing. Like, they know the parade route. Like, in Philly, they had to come up with the parade route. You know, like, <laughs> they ran this play last year. Like, they, they have reps. So, and I think that that's the best way to sum up the entire thing. New England is awesome. You're a part of something historic. You're a part of one of, a small part of one of Tom's rings. You're a small part of Bill Belichick's legacy. It's like fucking so cool you're gonna be able to tell your kids about this um i knew that guy whatever but then philly is like you made somebody's lifetime do you know like mm. there's eagles fans that were waiting 40 50 years for this like grown men uh, i mean yeah a yeah guy, a guy ate poop because of what you guys did like a yeah. guy <laughs> ate actual horse shit because of y'all yes dude and listen and you just mentioned big mike um I, and by the way, for the people listening, Mike's brother, Bob, used to be a fixture in my dad's household growing up. So that was my first uh, entry point into the Golics, like was Bob Golick, who's a legend. And Mike, but Mike in that group, man, there's so many great players that played in Philly. And we thought a lot about those players, you know, like when you win a Super Bowl somewhere like Philly that has such a football tradition, there's so many great players. You don't feel unworthy, but it's kind of fucked up that like, you feel unworthy of being the guy that gets to be a part of that when there's guys like Clyde Simmons and Reggie White and, and you know, Jerome, God rest his soul, and, and Mike and, and that D-line and, and Seth and all those guys and the guys in the 90s, Brian Dawkins. Uh, why us? You know, it's like we just caught lightning in a bottle and that group broke up quickly. It's, there's a new group there now. Um, and... Um, and all these groups that, you know, and this was the old NFL and you kept groups together longer and stuff. And for all their efforts, they didn't get a chance to do this. So it was not lost on me, at least. And I think a lot of the guys, the history and some of the guys that really deserve to also be champions in that city. Hopefully we all shared it. You know what I mean? Because Philly's such a, you know, like a family environment. All the alums come back and the whole thing. B-Docs in the lunchroom every morning. I'm like, dude, I'm just eating breakfast with Brian Dawkins every day. Amazing. And they were all genuinely happy for us, which is cool because I, I would, I would look at us and be like, damn, that should have been me because it should have been a lot of them. So 
I love the Eagles uh, greats from like the 90s and even before that. Now, it's it's some incredible stories around those teams and some incredible groups. There's no doubt. And you're right, the dynamic is super different. Like, you mentioned Brady, like, obviously Gronk associated with a lot of that. Like, looking at them now, like, you watching them after being in there, and really for both of them this offseason, Tom retiring and then unretiring, Gronk now on his second retirement here. Like, when you look at those guys and knowing how the end of your career was, like, how tough is that to fully walk away from when, like, everyone already thinks, man, if they call Gronk in December, he can just come back, latch onto the side if they're going to make a postseason run? Like, how tough is it for guys, especially high-level competitors like that, like you, to feel like you're ready for a clean break from this? Like, was that was it clean for you on the back end? It was clean, but, you know, it's now, even if it appears clean on the surface, there's so much turmoil in your head, man. And um, being able to walk away on your own terms is is everybody's goal, right? Like they always say there's a couple ways you can leave football and it's like, you know, hit, you know, the, the team's choice injury or you, in rare circumstances, you can walk away. And at the end of your career, as you kind of like plot that and consider, you know, how you're probably going to feel in retirement, you assume that you probably feel better if it's on your terms. So like, I always want to go out on my terms. Um, and at the end of your career, it's hard to, it's hard to, you're sitting in one off season. You're like, okay, this could be a good exit point. But if you stick around another year, is it too long? And are you going to go out one of the other two ways? So like, you're kind of like figuring out how you want to get out clean. Um, and I think for me, it was clean in that the Eagles made it known what they wanted to do. Uh, they wanted me back, but they wanted me to be kind of like a super role player. Like, I think they wanted me to be like, uh, and this is no shade at all, because I would love to be as respected as Udonis Haslam, but they wanted me to be like a guy taking eight snaps a game and like making sure the guys that are taking your job are acting correctly and shit. Like I'm not a babysitter, you know, that sort of thing. So for me, it was the nudge that I needed. Um, and then there were other options, but they were teams that I'd have to move my family and do all this stuff. And I was like, man, you know, do I really want to start over? I've been on two teams in three years. It's been a great ride. Um, I hit my kind of like late career goal, which was 70 sacks. Like I just wanted a nice round or even number there. Um, and uh, and I just said, you know what? There's something cool about saying, fuck this shit. I'm out. Like not to say I didn't love football, but I didn't love the Monday through Saturday anymore. I didn't love, you know, that thing that I told you I loved in St. Louis. And it had nothing to do with the people, nothing like that. I think just getting old and saying, I've done this a million times. I, I, my, my patience for little bullshit is just not what it was. And let me get out before I get bitter about football. You know, I, I could feel that coming. And so I just said, I'm out, man. And it was funny. The way I retired was, um, and by the way, I think Gronk's coming back. He's skipping camp. <laughs> Okay, but, I, I'm glad we said the like, yeah, he's coming back. Loud. Yeah, it's, the, yeah, he's skipping camp, dude. Good for so him. Th the way I came back, or the way I retired was, um, I was kind of afraid. You know, like you're on the ledge and you're like, damn, I, I really, I really got to do this, huh? Like, I got to send a tweet or I got to like announce it mm. or somehow. So I had a party with like 15 of my friends on my farm, and I told them what it was about. So. Once they got there, there was no backing out. It was kind of like they were my support group, you know, because yeah. if, if I'm having a retirement party and then I, and I was 60, 40 retire and I just hit the tweet and that was it. It was over. But uh, there were a couple instances where I almost came back. And so you, you do, even if you think you're out, like it's hard to move on. It just is. It's in your DNA. You know, there's, 
You guys have been out of football a little bit. It's probably in, you know, you get that feeling sometimes. We just had our 10 year reunion and every time uh, alternate football league comes up, I'm like, Hmm. It's like NFL wasn't it? <laughs> USFL, maybe. So, anyways, well, how, Brandon, how you Brandon think- by the way, if you ever feel like trying out for the USFL, please God, what content? Mind that's great content, content, dude. Your true. podcast, of, like, bro, you, we yeah, got NFL true. podcasters, but do we have USFL podcasters? Damn, Kojo, number one USFL the smell podcast. podcast. Eat your heart out, Draymond Green. <laughs> Fucking, we're we're doing All this shit USFL from Mobile action. or wherever they're playing. Oh I, I need to. That's why I need to know the names of the teams first before I try yeah. playing that shit. Yeah. But how did you how did you curb the appetite? Like a lot of guys end up scratching that itch again. Adrian Peterson. The list can go on and on. Like how did you? How were you able to just sit in that decision even when you wanted to possibly when you wanted that Sunday again? I had one meeting. So like it was, it was perfect. Cause I had to meet with somebody at the team. I trained for like two, three weeks to come back at some point. And I had to meet with somebody at the team. And within like an hour of that meeting, like, like 30 minutes into the meeting. And it was all about like, kind of just expectation level setting and all this stuff. Some of the same stuff I retired over. I was just like, man, I totally respect it, but I've been in this meeting 35 minutes and in my head, I'm like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm pissed off sitting here. Like, you know what I mean? So, you know, that it, it, I flirted with it and, uh, it worked out for both parties, man. Not, not reuniting. Cause it's, it's hard to, when you come back, then you become the center of attention, mm-hmm. you know? And if you're not ready and that's thought when you walk away from football after a certain period of time, when you watch the game again, you realize how violent it, it is, how hard we were working how like insanely regimented we were, how like we're madmen. And while I was playing it for the sake of humility, I was like, ah, oh, it's a sport. I work my ass off. I'm paid well. I don't want to make anything more of it than it is. Like there's people working nine to fives and shit. It's way harder doing that. And I'm not saying which one's harder. I'm just saying when I walked away, the more time's gone on, the more I've realized how insane what we just did was the last you know, for me, four years in college, 11 in, in the pros, like try to go do a workout like that. Now try to go, you know, try to go, try to be committed to something now, the way you were to that. I mean, it's just, and the further you get away, it's like your DNA changes. It's like something in your brain is, it just changes, man. And you're, you're not capable of it anymore. Even if you're physically capable of it, even if you can go play for a day, it's the everyday answering the bell. You just you just get burnt out. It is so true. I I distinctly remember. I don't remember who they were playing, but the first Notre Dame game I was back on the sideline for. After I learned two things that weekend. The first was when I saw some kid get smoked out of bounds like ten feet from me on the sideline. Oh my line. god, dude! I looked over at one of my buddy. I go, "What the fuck were we thinking?" Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. The first time I ever got hurt, bro. I never like the first time I ever got hurt was in street clothes in the NFL. It was my seventh year or sixth or seventh year. We were up in Minneapolis because Fish wanted me to. Fish let me take road trips with the team so I'd go out and get a beer and still hang, you know, still be around the guys and that sort of thing. It was nice. I was like, I get to get drunk in Minneapolis. This is cool. But then the next day I'm on the field and I'm in my street clothes and I watched LaMarcus Joyner. And you guys might even remember this because it was kind of borderline on the sideline, just decapitate uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Mm -hmm. And I'm standing right next to him. You can find this hit now because it was ugly. Um, but it was like, bang, bang. This is my, my like, uh, confirmation bias with a teammate here, but 
it was right next to me. And I'll, I'll never forget thinking like, holy shit, I cannot fully appreciate the violence and the speed of this game. If I am in the game, yep. like the people on this, if you ever want to see a football game and like really appreciate, you know, these athletes, like if you can get on the sideline, you know, like, I know it's hard for listeners, but if, if for some reason you ever get the opportunity, don't pass it up. It's like sitting courtside for an NBA game. You know, it's just, you can fully appreciate the excellence and the violence and the speed and the collisions. It's fucking crazy. I mean, those I college football games, you could, those people that pay just to watch warmups and practice, they get over there by the D lineman just padding up drills. Like, Ooh, they get, they, they get excited. Yes, dude. A little bit. And I, yes. I, was, I, I took my fifth year at ball state and I went to, I was living in Jersey and I went up to West point when they were playing army and I just went to sit on the sidelines. And I remember I, after the game, I was like, Oh, these guys feel like they just were just in a car accident. Yeah, like these dude. offense, these defensive linemen are—they need attention, they need medical <laughs> like attention, medical attention. At this, yeah, like, dude. Why? Why do we bother? Yeah, no, and we do because because we were exceptional. We were different, bro. Like you have to be different to be a football player. You know, I never would have said that while I played because I was trying to be humble about it. But like, you have to be wired differently to go do this uh, at any high level, like whether that's collegiately or in the pros takes tremendous commitment. By the way, Ball State, isn't that uh, my guy Freddie Gibbs alumni? Is, yes, sir. He's an alumni. Yes, he's a former college football player. I uh, love Freddie it. Gibbs. How about that, dude? When I found that out, when I found that out, I was like, that's part him, David Letterman. But Freddie Letterman. Gibbs was on the team. Gibbs was, Gibbs was a running back on the team, and I think he got kicked off for, you know, doing Freddie Gibbs stuff. You played with Gibbs? No, I didn't play with Gibbs. I didn't oh, okay, dude. No, yeah, no, yeah. No, because no, you're not, yeah, you're not as old as us. No, but no, like, no. uh, but no, I think, yeah, he was a wide receiver, a running back, and he he had yeah. to he had to go. That's yeah. fucking crazy. Ball State. I love that. Yeah, it's got some alums. Chirp, hey. chirp, baby. Chirp, chirp. Yeah. It, right. Now, the, but seeing it on the sideline, you're absolutely right. Like, especially if you cover football, it should be a requirement. Like, you need to come down from the press box and see it. It's like being next to the fucking highway. Yeah, but dude. <laughs> the other thing I gained a profound respect for that weekend, it was the first time I had come back and gone out in the tailgate lot. Because we never got to live that on Saturdays. And it was a night game at Notre Dame. And I remember turning, because I always used to give my friends shit. Because when we would play night games, I a lot of them would leave at halftime, go take a nap, and then meet us when it was time to go out. And I looked at one of my buddies in the parking lot, and I go, never again will I doubt y'all. I am exhausted Yeah, right dude. <laughs> I have been I have been chugging Bud Lights in the heat out by pole number two in the parking lot for two and a half hours. We still have three hours to go, and I'm supposed to watch this game? Hell no. They don't call them weekend warriors for for no reason, man. Like people that that are out there and just getting after it at football games that have nine to fives. They're tired anyway from the week. They, you know, like you got little kids and shit. That you're not. If you play football, at least you get nine hours sleep before the big day. If you're if you're a fan tailgating, maybe you were drunk last night. I mean, that's a lot. So I completely respect tailgaters. And then after football, I realized just how, um, you know, I kind of had the same realization when I went to, I went to one of Kyle's games at Soldier Field. I didn't love that so much because the tailgating was like kind of inside and in like a, yeah. in like a parking garage. Uh, and then now I know they have other tailgating, but when I went to Kansas city to see Kyle play, when he played for the chiefs at Arrowhead, dude, I was just like, okay, this is what it's about. Like, this is this atmosphere is just off the chain. And I got to see the Bills Chiefs game. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I watched that whole thing, uh, and I, 
I watched the whole thing on edibles, like a bunch of edibles, like because I just <laughs> was so stressed out about my brother and like their team. And I'm just sitting there in the overtime like, God damn, dude, I, I want to go home and go to sleep. This is more exhausting than playing a game. So I had the same realization you did uh, as a brother, as a fan, you know, the whole thing. How much better do Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen look even Amazing. than normal when you're on edibles? Amazing. You're just like watching the ball just go <laughs> up and down the field so fast. <laughs> and uh, and you're not even stressed out about it. It's like, all, you know, I'm looking over at my dad and he's like all pensive and shit. And by the way, first off, Howie Long sitting in a Kansas City Suites uh, or Kansas City Chiefs suite is like a total mind fuck. Like mm -hmm. this is the, their fiercest rival. And he's sitting there in a Chiefs polo. And um, I'm up here and usually I'd be just sweating profusely, but I was not stressed out and I was just enjoying the game. So I would would recommend Darren, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 would recommend. I want to shout out all the mothers and fathers that are cooking at these tailgates. Like, you have people over and you try to get food together. It's a nightmare. Doing it remotely with with plates and, and be, even before COVID, post or pre, listen, those those people are saints. They're providing the cutlery, food for you gotta, everyone. Yeah, you got to think about all the little things, man. I, I hate planning parties. I do it all the time, but I hate it because there's so much pressure. Imagine doing that. On the road to a football game. Yeah, Crazy. hats off. Hats off. Uh, speaking of planning things, Chris, before we let you get out of here, and we appreciate you giving us so, so much time, I'd be remiss if I didn't always mention, man, always mention the work you do with Waterboys, the climb in Kilimanjaro, Conquer Killy that you guys are doing every year. It, that's back on board for this season. Are you making the climb again? I'm going to make the climb again, man. <sighs> and I'm bummed that we didn't cross over the year you went. And uh, I know we, I was out there, but like, there's a different like bond on the mountain, man. And I would have loved to get up there with you and, and we appreciate you coming out and hopefully that was an enjoyable trip. But like, um, I'm going to go in February. This will be like, I think it's going to be the fifth time. And I always tell people when you climb a mountain like that, it's, it's better to be punched in the face when you're not expecting it. Um, and, and that's what times two, three, four, and five were not. You know, like, yep. I know exactly what's coming. You know, like, I know how hard it's going to be. I know, like, when the complaining starts, I know what the worst day is. Um, but it's for a great cause, and it's really a fulfilling experience. When you get to the top, you know, Mike, you can probably speak to this, but, like, you're like, damn, I really am, tw like, 20,000 feet above sea level right now in East Africa, and there is snow, and I'm looking at a glacier, or I'm looking at a volcano. You know what I mean? It's just... Like, where am I right now and how hard we had to work to get up there? And then also some of the amazing people that come up with us really make the trip. I mean, it's the veterans. It's it's you know, it's we, we I've climbed with, uh, uh, you know, uh, amputees. I, I summited with a dude that's completely blind. Um, you got Nick Hardwick and um, and Luis Castillo, like arm in arm with this dude, Ivan. And, the, you know, that ridge at the top when you get oh, yeah. over Stella Point and you look down and they're like, oh, my God, that's like 2000 feet. Um, you're talking about a guy who can't see and his special forces buddy had to turn around because he was coughing up a little, a little blood, which is rare for anybody who's thinking about climbing Kelly. He's an ultra marathoner. He was in great shape. It just didn't work for him. And he said, you got Ivan. And he said this to Luis and Nick and you know, like they were like, yeah, we got him. We, we, we got him covered. Like we got you. And he's like, no, when a military guy's like, you got this motherfucker, like, that's a little bit different. Like, mm. if he doesn't come down this mountain, <laughs> yeah, we will have a problem. So um, just watching, like, the synergy in the group, the leadership, the people that step up 
and the camaraderie, man, that's what makes the trip. It's not just tourism. It's not just like, man, bucket list. It's all about a bond, man. And we really, we really get that bond done all in the name of clean water. So waterboys.org, if you get a chance to check it out. Yeah, everyone, please check that out. Again, the, the goal to provide clean drinking water to a million people well on your way. The, the work doing over there, you're, I will never forget it as long as I live standing on top of there. And I didn't even know why I was just crying. Like it wasn't like a thing that happened. It wasn't a thing I was aware of. It was like, I am exhausted. They're telling me I am like one of the last in a generation that's going to get to see a lot of these glaciers, that experience with the people, because you're up there on that mountain for six days with no cell service. It's, it's like training camp plus because you are really in there with people. But even for the people that can't go, like you said, to support what's going on over there. Because the other super incredible part of this was to get to meet the kids at the school who would be getting dr- clean drinking water because of the money that people had helped us raise. And to see that, you know, the direct effect of the dollars and cents is incredibly powerful. And it's a testament to you guys. And that's the thing, Mike. And when you get to go down, that's what I love hearing from guys and gals that go over. You know, we've had people that have been all over the world, people who served our country and been in real, like, uh, real tough places where people have really tough lives. And to see um, how moved, like, Elliot Ruiz is, shout out to Elliot, Marine, Philly guy, Birds fan, also one of my favorite people that summited. But, like, we went down to a village, uh, actually a school that we were going to implement a water solution. And at the school, there's, there's gasoline film uh, on top of this, uh, this creek that runs right through the school. And that's in the trash and shit. And that's where the kids get their water, like without a second thought, because that's just reality, man. Like, and watching those kids scoop that water out, he broke down and cried. And I'm like, here's the toughest dude in the world that's seen the most shit. And he's seeing the before, but then the really rewarding part is going to see the after and, and water is transformational for communities, man. Like from, from, you know, not just the you know, waterborne illness and, uh, you know, uh, getting rid of that. Uh, because kids can die of diarrhea in East Africa. I mean, like, yeah. um, but also agriculture improves, commerce improves, communities grow. It's also a women's issue as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've tried to target that as well because all the burden of uh, gathering water in East Africa falls upon the shoulder of women and girls, which is totally unfair. And Mina Kimes has been crushing it for us. Our mutual friend, Mina, she does like an, et- uh, um, an etch-a-sketch for people. She does like art, for, you know, watercolor for people. Uh, that donate a certain amount of money. And that's been our biggest seller. Like we try to do autograph footballs. We try to do jerseys, but people want the Mina Kimes watercolors, man. So I, shout out to Mina Kimes. I, I may have bid my ass off at the silent auction at the golf tournament for that. And then wrote Mina in to do that for our golf tournament coming up. So do it, dude. they're going to sell like hotcakes and she's going to be like, holy shit. I didn't realize people liked your charity this much. I was like, <laughs> you can carpal tunnel from painting these motherfuckers. So love it's- Mina, dude. Definitely. She's a, she's a legend, as are you, man. Again, waterboys.org. Everyone check it out. The Greenlight Podcast. Chris always crushing it, and we appreciate it, man. I'm sure there'll be uh, hopefully a lot more home and homes in the future. We'll definitely look forward to having Dude, you Dude, let's just man. keep volleying, man. Let's hit the ball yes. back and forth continually. B, nice to meet you, man. Nice to meet you. Appreciate Thanks, you. Thanks, dude. Yeah, I'll see y'all. Sound the trumpets. It's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIC. Only on the DK Horse app. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus, 21 plus in certain states to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. Awesome stuff, and thanks to our good friend, Chris Long. Make sure you guys check out the Greenlight Podcast. It is that special time here. Thank you again for Chris. We have so much to get to. We were off on Monday, as we said. So, Brandon, you know what time it is yet again. The third. So it, this is now going to apparently be the thing where I know last week, Brandon, we took feedback. We asked all you guys, leave us a five-star rating on uh, Apple Podcasts. Yes. Leave us a review with that. And one of the things we asked about was Brandon coming up with an o- open. Was it time for a jingle and open something for this, that, and the third? Brandon experimented with it last week, but he told me. He's not sure. We had so many people with great ideas. Do we want to try and service all of those? Do we want to just stick with one? And so I'm not sure until this podcast posts what is actually going to be there. It's exciting to learn along with the rest of you. Man, some people like singing. Some people want to hear my my very wide voice, this, that, and the third. Some people want to just see their ideas uh, implemented. So I'm, I'm cool to cool to go that way as well. Um, Because it's a community. It's a community podcast. We're learning and growing uh, as as you leave five-star comments and help us beat the algorithm. So, we, of course, I'll give you what you want. Exactly. To quote the great Jalen Rose and David Jacoby, you got to give the people what they want. Got to give the people. Mm. Give the people people what they want. Mm. Well, that being said, that's not going to be this segment, but it is this, that, and the third. And yes. uh, Brandon, let's start off with some NBA news in this, that, and the third for this because we've Mostly. got this one twofold. Yeah. First off, Kyrie Irving, who has been the source of so much consternation and news lately around the Brooklyn Nets. We talked to Christian Winfield from the New York Daily News last week about this situation. Well, according to Shams, Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving is opting in to his $37 million player option for the 2022-23 season, according to sources telling The Athletic and Stadium. Irving is bypassing on multiple opt-in and trade scenarios to fulfill his four-year commitment to the Nets and Kevin Durant. This is the quote that started making the rounds online today. (laughs) I'm, I'm reading it right now. Kyrie Irving, quote, this is again a tweet from Shams, quote, Normal people keep the world going, but those who dare to be different lead us into tomorrow. I've made my decision to opt in. See you in the fall. And then he does kind of the stay M70, the stay mellow that Carmelo used to do. Yes. Uh, This from Kyrie Irving, who wears number 11, all even, but the L's are 11s. Brandon, first off, all even or stay mellow, which is the better sign off involving a basketball player's number? I want that answer first. It's not a question. It's stay mellow. Thank you. Because it, right. it makes sense. This is this is gibberish. And also, Kyrie Irving, this is worse than the decision. This is worse than LeBron James calling a press conference and saying he's taking his talents to South Beach. You are silly. 
Like it's like we understand that you have a third eye and it's open and you're as woke as can be and all of those things. And he's not even wrong. It's just like when you sound like a quote from a home goods poster, it's just like that is I've true. decided this can, this can I, hang I've in the opted kitchen. in. It's like see see you in the fall. Okay, Kyrie. Like yeah, we got it. We got it. All, all you all you could have said is and this is what people wanted to hear you say from Brooklyn. I'm still I'm still committed to winning a championship for the Brooklyn Nets. Cuz this is what this this decision tells me. Well, but I mean like that is Kyrie Irving's way of saying it, right? Like much like we have to translate Cam Newton's weird wingdings font whenever he wants to make an <laughs> announcement, this is what we've got to translate the love language of Kyrie Irving into. And Brandon, it is funny because while that quote is objectively hilarious. And while I agree with you that stay mellow is the better moniker using a player's number into yes. the uh, thing, all even I will say looks a lot more like stay mellow. You had to like flip the seven and you had to do some mental gymnastics. This one, very easy to just see it very much lines up with the letters and makes a lot of sense when you read it visually. That being said, it does. I, it does. It, it looks, it looks right. Yes. It looks right. Where Stay Mellow looks a little artistically wrong, All Even looks, as you would say, All Even. But I, th- but I think Stay Mellow, because it takes a little bit more creative liberty, does still get the win for me. Yes. Th- that being said, I think it is funny that this would be what Kyrie Irving deems daring to be different. Because on face value, opting into $37 million to most people doesn't look like doing something different. It looks like, hey, uh, your choices were as good as your options and your options for the sign-in trade, as we had seen reported from Woj and others over the course of the last 24 hours, seemed to be the Lakers. And it seemed to be that the Nets weren't really a fan of what the Lakers had to offer them in this spot. And so they looked and said, we're not going to help facilitate this. You can make us as miserable as you want. If you've got this one option, it's not going to work. And the options that you would test if you truly opted out and were going to sign somewhere for a max deal and free agency weren't exactly going to work out for you. So, Brandon, this is kind of what we thought was going to be the case all along of public pressure from Durant, Kyrie, to try and get Brooklyn to bite on this one. It didn't work. Sean Marks and company called his bluff. And I, I sat on here and said, hey, they need to go out here and pay this man they were able to apparently read the room, read the marketplace for Kyrie Irving potentially and what his options were and end up getting him back. $37 million is by no means a bargain, but it ends up being a year-prove-it deal where now they're not going to have to worry about you know, I guess there's still the potential for a long-term deal to get done. This just means he's not going to go out and test true free agency, which is the date coming up June 29th, where you have that ability to opt in. So we've still got July 1st when free agency gets going. But this, if the Nets want to stick to this now, is, hey, Kyrie, you got one year to show us you're worth us putting any more time into this in. And so you got to give credit to this Nets front office for kind of holding in this game of chicken because they clearly seem to have won. They, yeah, they say they they seem to have won. Kyrie has played chicken with this front office before, and they seem to win. Usually, the one time Kyrie maybe won is when it was a little too late uh, during the playoffs. When oh yeah, during finally, well during the season when they let him come back and play right. the half games. You're right. That was absolutely a win for, a win for Kyrie if there was such a thing to be found in this situation. But with that. 
Did this thing get settled before it got toxic? Because we all know in NBA teams that uh, little moments can grow and fester. Uh, you know, the, the Draymond Green, uh, Durant uh, kerfuffle on the sideline that was, uh, you know, ex- it sped up once KD tore his Achilles. So, yeah. like, those little things. Like, is this one of those things that is the beginning of the end now or is it was just a small little spat to, to get things straight with Kevin Durant being so nonverbal with the front office right now when he wants and Kyrie being so Kyrie at all times? Uh, no, I don't think this can get messier than it's already been for this franchise. I think they have weathered so much already. And what have we heard from Kevin Durant? Well, when he came out and publicly said, no matter what happens, the friendship will survive. I can't force Kyrie to do anything that he wants. If Kyrie's back, Kevin Durant seems to have demonstrated, I'm going to play with who's there. He really seems like he just wants to go out there and ball with his friends and get like, you start to believe the things that Kevin Durant says over and over, despite what we want to project. So I don't think this gets worse for Brooklyn as far as the relationship between Katie and Kyrie or the front office, because it's already been difficult to try and navigate for everyone involved in this. And so I don't think it can really get much worse because you've already had to deal with so much inconsistency and so much of what's felt like a three wing circus. Yeah. It's weird. It's still, still very weird dealings over there with the Brooklyn Nets. Like my thing is like, how fast did this thing come together? Like, was it really this simple? Like, was it really Kyrie wanting out, telling them exactly where, and then them that fast? Was really no one interested in Kyrie but the Lakers? Like, like I, I, I feel like I, I can't, this is just the beginning. This is what we know, right? I just feel like remember the date because it's like back in June 24th, we found out that KD had a conversation with whoever the hell. Like, I, I just think there's more to it. And there's going to be continue to be more to it because Kyrie's third eye is open and he's going to leave little hints like uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, throughout the, the playoffs, or throughout the regular season next year. I will be very interested because I think we go back to year one of this Brooklyn Nets team experiment. And the one thing I remember coming away from there, and it, an injury undid them in the postseason, that was the year where we talk about them being a shoe size short. That regular season was marred by how uninteresting Brooklyn was. They were quiet. There wasn't a lot of infighting. There wasn't a lot outside of Kyrie's absences. And even then, we didn't hear much about them. That was about all we got. But they didn't really give us much in the way of sound bites. Obviously, year two went completely on tilt the other direction. But I do wonder if you get this out of the way now. The Nets, I think the front office, again, clearly the winners here because they got Kyrie back and kept this team together for another year on their terms and they will have more answers this year without the vaccine mandate and all the other things that went into this I'm just saying this is sort of to me like it has the potential to be what Giannis signing long term in Milwaukee was which it took away the biggest possible headline and kept it away now with Brooklyn we'll be able to continue to play the game of does it survive beyond next season and all that but at the very least now if you're Brooklyn you calm the storm heading into this season and at least get to start with all right, Kyrie is back for this year. We know what this is, a one-year trial run with Kyrie, KD, and hopefully a healthy Ben Simmons, and then you take it from there. 
So that yeah. seems to be what's at stake for the Brooklyn Nets as Kyrie Irving now, according to Shams, appears ready to opt back in, providing any sort of, you know, provided we dodge any sort of weird last minute shenanigans heading in to June 29th. But uh, Christian last week told us that this was going to be the reality. Then shit got really hairy for about 24 hours. And then and then he just was right. Kyrie's back with the Brooklyn Nets. Christian Winfield, man. Make sure you make sure you pay attention to what that man is saying on these subjects, especially around the Nets, because he's been pretty nails so far. Uh, Brandon, before we get to uh, that and give a little puck love here, did want to tack this on as well to the NBA news. Uh, according to Tim McNan and Adrian Wojnarowski uh, at ESPN, after agreeing to a buyout with the Houston Rockets, John Wall plans to sign a free agent deal with the Los Angeles Clippers. Wall was due $47.4 million from the Rockets after exercising a player option for the final year of his contract, agreed to take $6.5 million less, so would be you know just over $40 million, just under $41 million, a source told ESPN. That's roughly the amount of the taxpayer mid-level exception which John Wall could receive once he's able to negotiate a deal with the Clippers. So that uh, looks to be the move here. Brandon, this is one of those that every time I hear news about John Wall now, I'm glad this top-end salary and him being in, you know the top five paid players next year will be a little less of that because that was going to bring a bunch of undue attention. I don't know what this really does. John Wall has been so beat up for so long injury-wise. They have marred what was once a super talented guy with a Washington franchise that we felt like feel, fails a lot of their star players. And now you're putting him on a Clippers team that has been another one hampered by injury for their key players over the last couple of seasons. I don't know what to expect there. I don't think it's markedly more. I think ultimately the Clippers' fate is going to be tied to how healthy is Kawhi Leonard and can Paul George continue to stay on the court as well. If you keep those two on the court, John Wall can look good. If one of those guys is injured for significant time, I think all of a sudden this looks more like what happened with Russell Westbrook in Los Angeles once Anthony Davis was down for so long with the Lakers. Yeah, I can see that. But I, I, what I really think is going on right now is obviously you see narratives get played out in real time, but all the rest of these NBA stars are looking as well. I think John Wall is inspired by Andrew Wiggins and him winning his championship. I think John Wall is seeing the potential in – being more realistic about his abilities, tapping into this, like, his Gohan level. Like, John Wall was John Wall, right? So I think him being surrounded by other superstars, guys that can uh, raise his ability, it's almost like the uh, you uh, you play to the level of your competition thing. Well, you practice to the level of your competition. And I think John Wall, you know, obviously he had Bradley Bill for a long time with the Wizards, and, you know, he's a good enough player to – should be getting John Wall excited. And they they did go tit for tat when they were together. But I think that rises all boats over the Clippers that makes it really scary for Lakers fans and that fight for the top in the West. Uh, but I think it still is a good chance that he may think highly of himself and just be a cancer in the locker room, which I'm really pulling for. There we go. A very unbiased take from a Lakers fan across town with that team. Uh, John Wall, uh, for anyone that doesn't remember how the last couple of years went, averaged just over 20 points and just under seven assists in 40 games in the 2021-2021 season. 
after missing the previous year and a half almost because of heel surgery and a torn Achilles tendon. He was on the Rockets for parts of last season, did practice and sat on the bench during games, trained on his own in Miami. Like That was a, a strange situation because of Harden and so many other things that John Wall ended up being a part of. So that'll be another thing to keep an eye on as we thought we were might maybe getting Lakers news. It turns out the Clippers are in business with a signing that, much like a lot of the Lakers signings last year, sounds a lot better five, six years ago when we were talking about that version of John Wall. Hopefully he can still be productive. Like you said, Brandon, hopefully it is a guy who can tap back into some of that ability. But the biggest difference, you know, Andrew Wiggins, much more athletically gifted at this point and not dealing with recent injury, which can be tough. We'll see. Clay Thompson obviously made it back into the finals this year after dealing with a lot of similar lower body injuries. And so, wish John Wall well. I mean, I, I, I would love to see it work out. It would make the season very interesting. Do the little flex dance. We'll all get after it. Brandon, let's get to that because uh, we do have to show some puck love. We didn't get a chance to talk on Monday, and your wish came true. Our friend of the program, Charlotte Wilder, agreed with you. A cold-weather team got to hoist Lord Stanley's Cup yet again. The Colorado Avalanche are your 2022 Stanley Cup champions. Kale McCarr is your Conn Smythe Trophy winner, the MVP of the postseason. For his role in that, they take down the two-time defending champion Tampa Bay Lightning. And Brandon, they do it uh, by doing a little damage in the process as well. Um, very interesting moments. You see them getting ready to take the picture uh, with the cup after all of them are on the ice. And I believe it was um, Nicholas uh, Obi Kubel came over with the Stanley Cup, slid into the pile, and dinged the bottom of the cup, dinged the base of it in a very real way before everyone took it for a ride there. It almost feels endearing. Like, in a world where we have watched Tom Brady throwing the Lombardi trophy off the back of a boat and so many other guys find a way to damage trophies, this feels like it's just a sign of character, which definitely fits in the world of hockey. Right, as if if you didn't ding up your trophy while celebrating, did you celebrate... And was your trophy around? Like, like there's, it's expected to get a little, little wear and tear uh, based on the 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 winners, the champions of the year. Twenty years since the last time uh, the Colorado Avalanches were Stanley Cup hoisters. Can you say hoisters? Does that yeah, make sense? I, yeah. I I was still trying to process avalanches. Because I guess you're technically right. I like guess, multiple I mean, the avs. You, you say the avs. That's, that's if you're in Denver, you're throwing avs. Like let's go to Ball Arena and see the avs play. So uh, shouts out to them. Shouts out to everyone in Denver. Finally a championship town yet again. Uh, I was golfing earlier. We mentioned with Ryan Harris, who was a champion with the Brooklyn with the Brooklyn with the Denver Broncos and he's very very excited he was drinking Stanley Cup beers uh after hole after hole very excited for his hometown and uh, everything that the Avs did and like he said championships are earned and not won and the Avs went out there and brought some nostalgia back like I said 20 years ago brought some nostalgia back for us and got rid of those pesky Tampa Bay Lightnings because three in a row, Mike, I just – I didn't want to see it. I don't think a lot of people want to see it. And I, I think a lot of people who follow hockey are happy with how the season ended. 
I hope so, Brandon. I hope they got what they want because now we get my favorite part of hockey season, which is watching all these guys take the Stanley Cup around for their hometown tour, figure out what they want to do and have fun with it. Leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave us in that review with the five-star rating what you would do with your day with the Stanley Cup here. I feel like a Jello mold would be a ton of fun. I know a lot of people go bowl of cereal, which would be hugely on brand for me also, so... I'd probably go that route, Brandon, to use it to go like a max capacity bowl of cereal, the size of which I would have eaten in college, maybe mix and match a couple, show people that I can be creative in that process. That's probably where I'd stick. Yeah, I like that. But also, you think of it being silver, and I just like the idea of like something that was in a crock pot, you know, maybe some wings or maybe a fondue, a queso, just like oatmeal. Just get that, just get that Stanley How Cup nice and hot. How did you go from queso to oatmeal? Because it was hot. I was thinking about a hot bowl. I think oh, okay. hot bowls. And I'm not a big soup guy. Unless it's, oh, ooh, lobster bisque. Lobster bisque out of the Stanley Cup sounds good. Lobster bisque, a little clam chowder maybe even. Ooh, a, a bread bowl in the Stanley Cup bowl. Yeah, well, I mean, and like all this conversation around bowls and Colorado, like I wonder if there's any way to smoke out of the Stanley Cup. That, oh, okay, okay. Like, is there feel, a hole? If, is there a hole at the bottom of the of the trophy? Well, I mean, clearly they almost put one in it by dinging it on the ice here. So we'll see. They come from a great lineage of people who have broken trophies before. I think Gronk um, was a part of something that had to do with a damaged Lombardi yes. trophy. Um, the Wisconsin Badgers, when they won the Duke's Mayo Bowl, managed to break that trophy in the postgame locker room celebration. So not the first, but certainly this is one of the best trophies in sports. And so you mark this thing up, you really show you're about that life when it comes to celebrating hard and fast. When I was a GA for Ball State, we were at the is Mobile, Alabama for the – gosh, what's the name of that Well. This sucks. I can't. I can't remember the name of the bowl. It was. It was a, one of those bowls that you can forget the name. And uh, the trophy. They were. I was. I was literally. I was a GA. They were walking around the corner with the trophy, and it was one of those crystal balls. Like oh, and, it was like like the old national championship trophy. Yes, but it, it was something. He dude who was rushing down dropped it. It shattered everywhere, and he his face just sunk. And I was like. I was glad because uh, we were playing Arkansas State and they beat they beat us. So I was like, how oh, they don't get a trophy now? <laughs> they didn't brush a backup trophy because dude just shattered it like moments beforehand. <laughs> Hell yeah! Cool if I can't have it, nobody can. Nobody can have this trophy. See, that's why I'm glad we didn't win the national championship in 2012. Because man, there's a chance that I could have dropped that crystal ball. Oh, All of a sudden, in my excitement, now I live in infamy from breaking that trophy. Is how I'm going to rationalize all the pain that I'm still dealing with inside my little baby brain. But I, um, I hear it. I hear it in your voice. Let's let's get away from pain and focus on babies, Brandon, because. <gasps> It's time for the third, and one part of this weekend that was particularly insane in the middle of all the golf tournament fun was a new addition to the Golick family. Now, Brandon, 
your brother has a bunch of awesome kids. You are used to the uncle life and have been a part of this. I have not. I am the oldest of three in my family. I have a younger brother and a younger sister who is five years younger than me. Uh, they are both now married, but my brother and his wife over the weekend during our golf outing, during the you know auction portion, the kickoff party the night before the actual golf outing on Monday, my brother has to rush back home because his wife, Jenny, went into labor and a little under 24 hours later, during all the fun, we added even more to it. Jackson Golick, six pounds, one ounce. Born on Sunday, and we couldn't be more excited, man. This was uh, kind of surreal how fast it all started to happen. Uh, Jenny's due date wasn't until July 15th, but we kind of knew this was a possibility. And uh, baby is healthy. Mom is healthy. Jenny was an absolute rock star during all of this. We were FaceTiming my brother earlier, and they already both sound exhausted. So it seems like they're getting right into the swing of things for parenting from the jump. But uh, this one's wild, man. Like, obviously, I've known your kids for the entirety of their lives so far. I have known so many of our friends' kids and have been proudly called Uncle Mikey by a lot of young voices, but this one's going to be special and different in ways that you can identify with, in ways that I don't really know yet, but pumped to meet the little dude, so excited for my brother and his wife. They are, are, you know, no one's ready to be parents, but being around them and seeing the way that they've been together for a long time, like they're as, as ready as two people can be to be parents. Like I, I think they're going to do really well with that. And I am going to do my best to give that kid a bunch of really gaudy sneakers and teach him a lot of really fun, fucked up curse words. And he's going to love every second of it. Jackson will love every second of it. Congratulations to you. Congratulations to Jake and Jenny. Uh, I'm sure uh, Sydney and Ben, may get into the the children game at one point in time and Jake and Jenny may have a couple but there's nothing like as an uncle there's nothing like the first there's a special bond and it'll always be that way and uh I love the name Jackson I've 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 obsessed with it for a long time I wanted to name one of our children Jackson but couldn't because Michelle and I couldn't come to terms with the spelling uh, of sorts. So, how, how's how's Jackson spelled? Uh, so, this one I believe is going to be J A C K S O N. So, they want to call him Jax for short. So, I don't know if maybe they'll shorten that to an X. Maybe that like sounds it. like it'd be pretty cool. So, kind of a badass name. I was, like, I feel good about that kid's chances. I was I was oddly inspired by Braxton Cave, and I wanted to go J O X S O N. Ooh, and so Michelle you, did not so that, like it. So that people like Braxton would forget the S, the S for the rest of his life. <laughs> it's a hard one to get in there, man. It really is. But it, you know, Brandon, to your point, like it, the the first being different and just it, it being ours. Like I went and did the very Notre Dame thing and went to the grotto and lit a candle for uh, for Jackson last night. And I sat there and kind of thought about that, and I was like. You know, he is Jake and Jenny's son, and they are going to do such a good job. But, like, he's the first grandchild for my parents. He's the first nephew for me and my sister. And all I kept coming back to was, he's ours, and we got to make sure he's okay, and we got to make sure he gets off on the right foot and that he feels the love that is coming his way. So, very excited to welcome the little guy in. We're going to all get back out to the East Coast at some point soon. 
do that properly. But uh, Jake and Jan, if either of you make it this far in the podcast and are listening at all right now, if you have time, we love you guys. Congrats. Great job, Jenny. And uh, man, I hope you enjoy not getting sleep again for the rest of your entire lives. Okay, yeah, I was going to say tap in with your with your brother and your sister-in-law there. Keep keep tabs on. I know you guys have an open line of communication anyways, but these next 2 weeks for them. Oh yeah, Brandon, what's the what's the breakdown of this look like? Bro, honestly, it was so it was so wild because it was the first time. The only thing I can compare it to was camp. When it comes to <laughs> sleeplessness. Yes, like summer training camp in August like when you're just dead tired physically like it doesn't matter what time it is like the baby needs to eat every two hours and you're still trying to figure out how to fuck to feed it like it's the craziest thing it's like it's like you automatically become something that is like two the most important titles that you ever have mom and dad immediately and you have zero clue how to do that it's so true we were talking to jake and he goes every time i think i know what i'm supposed to do a new doctor walks in and gives me another <laughs> stack of information that i have to immediately download into my brain and i'm immediately <laughs> lost again it's crazy and you're like this like oh yeah remember they said this like once like the your problem solving oh my gosh like honestly it's it's the best and worst shit ever and uh they're going to be going through a lot of a lot of shit a lot of projectile shit and uh i'm excited for the whole family to because that's the thing once one person reality changes everyone's does so i was talking to your parents about baby proof in the house like i like all of it like i i, I it's going to change everyone's lives and uh, the most tired of you guys is going to be Jake and Jenny. That is for damn sure. That is for damn sure. So it's going to take a village. We're going to get a village. Jenny's got a great family who's going to help them out there in Massachusetts. It's going to kick ass, man. We're super, super excited. So on a weekend that was full of so much like love and family and friendship and all that, by far, I mean, the money we raise for charity is all going to be great, but it is going to be impossible to top this story of Jackson joining the world, joining this family on a weekend where we got to be surrounded by so many other people that we also love. So thank you to everyone. Speaking of people we love that made it this far into the podcast, we love you guys. Keep doing those five-star ratings, downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Maybe even leave a review giving Jake and Jenny some parenting advice for the next couple of weeks here to help Ooh, get them yes. through it because we're going to be leaning on Brandon and others who have this kind of experience in the realm of parenting. We can use all of it along the way. Keep those coming. We appreciate everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.